When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, Steeler fans. Welcome to the Curtain Call Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. With me, as always, Shannon White. Shannon, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Just excited to be here and and just uh, anticipating all the fun stuff we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. With us today, Daniel. Daniel, I, I do not know your last name. <laughs> uh, my last my last name is Holmes, but I go by Daniel J because hardly anybody can pronounce it. And so, okay, there you go, Daniel <laughs> J. We'll go with that. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I've uh, been excited, looking forward to this conversation all day. Uh, been a fan of you guys for a while now, so it's uh, exciting to be here. Well, great, thanks. Hey, we're glad to have you on. Mm-hmm. Shannon and I have been talking this whole off season since the before the draft. We were talking about draft picks since the draft. We've recovered all over the Steelers draft picks. We've gone through the offensive roster, the defensive roster. We've talked about Matt Canada's offense and what they can do with it. Today, the curtain call enters the dead season, the dead part of the offseason. Uh, today, we're going to talk about all the offseason controversies and conspiracies that make up the news we have right now. And I want to start with one that's a little bit older, but people are still talking about. I want, to, I want to ask Shannon, I want to ask as Daniel, I want to ask you guys your opinion of the name change of the stadium and whether it actually matters or if people are making a big fuss about nothing. What are your thoughts? We'll start with you, Shannon. What are your thoughts on Akershire Stadium? Well, like I said on the Hangover Monday, uh, life will never be the same. I'm, I'm still distraught. Um, it tested my fanhood, but I've come out the other side. And uh, now, seriously, you know, it's uh, – I wish that they would have somehow put something to tie the name to the Steelers because I'm sure everybody's like me. I've never heard of Acreshore. Uh, yeah. I know it's an insurance or something, but I've never heard of it. Uh, it has no ties to Pittsburgh. So I wish they would have, you know, something filled – Acre Shore Stadium, something, you know, the Rooney Field or, you know, yeah. but, but other than that, it's really not that big a deal. The, it's kind of fitting. Ben Roethlisberger owned Heinz Field and, you know, he took it with him. So they should take the sign and the ketchup bottles and put it in his backyard because <laughs> that was his stadium. And now they're going to start all over. 
So Heinz Field can be Ben Roethlisberger's backyard. That's how exactly I'm, exactly. I'm down with that. Daniel, what are your thoughts? You know, at, at first I was pretty upset by the name. I thought it was didn't roll off the tongue as well as Heinz did, and it didn't really have any contribution to the city or to or to the players. Now I'm I'm a fan from afar. Uh, I, I'm a fan from um, San Antonio, Texas. So the connection to the city portion of it. You know, really wasn't there for me, but, you know, Heinz Field being attributed to Heinz Ward was always some kind of connection there. And now there's absolutely none. And so it was something that's going to that hasn't gotten I haven't gotten used to it yet. I still find myself tripping over myself, calling it Heinz Field. And, but I'm sure, you know, for the next 15 years, we have some time to get used to it now. But as far as the name goes and, and how and what it means, it is sure a difficult one to say, and it's going to be one that's difficult to attribute to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but hopefully some winning football here soon will get the mind changed, so so to speak, on the uh, on the name of the stadium. I'm going to go to my thoughts here real quick because I don't like it, of course. I'm from the area, and Pittsburghers aren't going to like it. Uh, people have brought up other name changes, you know, like Console Energy Center became PPG play, like – well, PPG is Pittsburgh Plate and Glass. You know, Heinz is a is a Pittsburgh Heritage Company. If you if you had Westinghouse, if you had U.S. Steel, if you had uh-huh. there's any number of names, even PNC Park. At least, at least it's tied there by name. Pittsburgh National City Bank Park, right? It's in the name. Acrisure has literally no ties to Pittsburgh, literally none. And this deal is not. And I think I think what upsets me or anything is this deal is not about a company trying to be more Pittsburgh. They don't care. This is not about a, a, a thing trying to be like, oh, we're trying to be Pittsburgh-like or we want to be more blue. Co-. No, what they want is national recognition. What they want is they they want their brand out there, and they understand that the Steelers get more prime time and more nationally televised games than most teams do, and that's why they're paying this money. And it's purely national, it's purely money, but that's that's the whole NFL, right? And to me, I think that to a lot of fans, it kind of it's one more step away from the NFL of Art and Dan Rooney that cares about community, that has like we're going back to spring training in Latrobe, right? We're we're doing that, or not spring training, we're doing training camp in Latrobe again. It doesn't benefit the Steelers financially. This is a step away from that NFL. And one more step towards the NFL, the Robert Krafts, and the Daniel Snyders that are just there to make money. They're there for the profits. And for me, it stinks, but it's a battle that's already been lost, right? That's not, you know, Art Senior is not coming back. That NFL is not coming back. This is, this is the way the future is going to be, and it stinks. But it's a national and international company now, and, and local fans don't matter quite as much when you look at that big national and international money that's my take on it um i don't know if we got any comments there not really okay uh one of the other big controversies of the of the off season we we're, we're in right now is madden rankings which before the show i mentioned it none of us play the game none of us are invested in this uh, but the big the big one to me is just like PFF came out earlier in the year and ranked Miles Garrett over TJ Watt. Madden has come out 
and said, Miles Garrett is a 99. Miles Garrett is the top edge rusher in the game. TJ Watt, defensive player of the year, tied the all-time official sack record, is a 96. He's the second best edge rusher. I'm going to start with you, Daniel. What are your thoughts? Well, it's kind of like everything else when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. It seems like the mainstream mainstream media and the talking heads seems to just disrespect the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether it's PFF, whether it's Madden, whether it's, you know, opinions on Coach Tomlin and his ability to have had, you know, such a winning record for his entire career, you know, career as a as a head coach for the Steelers. Uh, but I think it all kind of trickles down to a bunch of hate, to be honest with you. With a uh, team that has been, you know, so successful for so long, it's going to bring a bunch of hatred and a bunch of uh, teams that are going to or people that are going to be upset with the Steelers for being successful. And I think that this is an outcome of it. I mean, you know, how, how many times were the Cleveland Browns supposed to win the Super Bowl here recently before the season started? It's not happening, and that that upsets a lot of people, and especially in the mainstream media. And I think that's why it shows. You know, you know, they have Miles Garrett, you know, apparently uh, rated higher than T.J. Watt, even though across the board when it comes to the stats, T.J. Watt is completely better than Miles Garrett. And so, like I said, it just kind of boils down to disrespect. And I think the reason why there's so much disrespect is because of the uh, the hatred for the excellence that the Pittsburgh Steelers have been able to accomplish for the last shoot, you know, since the 70s, if you think about it. Yeah, they hate us because they ain't us. <laughs> right. Shannon, what's your thoughts? Well, I've made my thoughts. We've talked about it before on the show, but uh, on Twitter, I, you know, it's a, it's crazy. You know, they, they'll they say, well, PFF justifies their ratings by that Garrett wins a higher percentage of his pass rush attempts. Uh, and now win is just what they consider beating the tackle, not getting home, not completing the play just beating on your initial move. Um, even by that metric, what's better in my opinion, but they, you know, they give Garrett, if he gets even the slightest advantage on the tackle, they give him a win, which doesn't mean anything. But if you look at any other aspect of football, anything, run defense, coverage, you know, force of fumbles, creating turnovers, uh, interceptions, coverage, anything, what eclipses Garrett easily. It's not even close. And when I seen it, I said, well, they got the ratings backwards because they should have been 99. What? And now if Garrett's a 96, I don't know. Um, I, I guess according to them, he's a 99. But anybody, you know, the eye test, we get so caught up in statistics. Uh, but in this case, they ain't worried about statistics. Then <laughs> other people get so caught up in uh, ratings or the fact that he's such a freak of an athlete, Garrett. But by any metric, the eye test will tell you and common sense will tell you that Watt is by far the better football player. So I do believe there's a little bit of, like, because if you looked at Harris and his rating, uh, Fitzpatrick's rating, down the line, um, and even the way they disrespect Cam Hayward, mm-hmm. um, there is some hatred there. And I believe it's, you know, as Daniel said, when you're good for as long as the Steelers be, somebody other day was like, well, what, you know, he, he plays for the Steelers and they've led the league in sacks for five years in a row. Well, yeah, they've led the league in sacks ever since he's been there. Yep. So you're, you know, you're actually, you're supporting 
the fact that how good a player he is, even though they, they meant that as a negative. So, yeah, there's just some bias, and there has been. Um, I was listening to Max Kellerman the other day, and he was talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, as Daniel mentioned, it's been the Cleveland Browns for the last three offseasons, but now it's the Bengals. And he, he just slobbered all over himself talking about Burroughs and the Bengals and how great they are and what Burroughs accomplished. And he even said it was a good thing that Burroughs lost the Super Bowl. That was a good thing because that meant that it was going to motivate him. He'll learn from it, and he's just going to be even better. That's the first time I ever heard anybody get credit for losing a Super Bowl. So, But it's, it's definitely a bias in the national media. Yeah, I bet I bet Joe Burrow feels the same way. He's like, man, so glad I didn't win that Super Bowl. Yeah. Man, that would have stunk. That would have been the worst. Oh gosh. For for Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, uh, I want to throw this in here. I head to head, man. That's what I look at. What do you do in those games? I've said it before, the Steelers made the playoffs. The Browns missed the playoffs. But if you swap the two games they played, if the Browns sweep the Steelers, the Browns are in the playoffs and the Steelers miss. Steelers swept the Browns, they made the playoffs. If they split them, neither team would have made it, right? Those games decided the season for both teams. Head-to-head, man, all right? outside. Let's let's look before those games. Outside of those two games, Steelers gave up 30 sacks, 34 sacks. Browns gave up 36 when you don't count facing each other. That's pretty even, right? That's right next to each other. Two sacks a game, like a little over two sacks and a little over two sacks a game. Head-to-head, the Steelers got to Baker Mayfield 13 times. Browns got to Ben Roethlisberger four times. T.J. Watt had five and a half sacks. If you want to talk, like, sack rate, outside of those two games, Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield had a 7.9% sack rate. Against the Steelers, he was sacked 7.3% of every dropback by T.J. Watt himself. If you count the full team, it was something like it was almost 16%, right? They knocked his number from like 7.9 to 9.2% sack rate just with the amount of times the Steelers sacked Baker Mayfield. Those games, in, in the same time that like TJ Watt has five and a half sacks and the Steelers have 13 sacks, a lot of those thir- other 13 sacks coming when Baker Mayfield is trying to get away from TJ Watt. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Browns get to Ben Roethlisberger four times, which was actually average. If you take 34, you add four to it, you get 38, two a game. It's still right there at two a game. They got to Ben Roethlisberger at about the same rate that everyone else got to Ben Roethlisberger. Miles Garrett only got one sack while going against a player that PFF graded with a zero, the lowest pass rush grading they've ever gave, given, and he got one sack, Right. The Browns, who PFF said has one, had one of the better offensive lines in the league, T.J. White got him to him five and a half times, and the Steelers got him 13 times. And that was the difference between the Browns making the playoffs and the Steelers making the playoffs was T.J. Watt absolutely dominated the Browns, and Miles Garrett disappeared. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's, that's, that's all I have to say. And if, if that's the difference between you making the playoffs and missing the playoffs – then my goodness, that matters. That matchup, that rivalry matters, and how you play in it matters. So, mm-hmm. you know what? I don't, I don't care where they rank Miles Garrett. I'll take T.J. Watt every single week because that man steps up and gets it done. That's my thought on T.J. Watt. 
You guys have any follow-up? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I never saw Miles Garrett play at a 99 rating against Chooks of Core 4. And so <laughs> you kind of took the words out of my mouth there. Great yeah. speaker. Or even Dan Moore Jr., man. Mm-hmm. That's like, like, okay, yeah, you, you pushed him back into the pocket, but then Ben just took two steps away from you and threw the ball anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't, you didn't get to him. You didn't make the play. Hey, one more thing, GB. We talked about it the last game when Moore shut him out and shut him down. He quit. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Second half, second half, he was going through the motions. Mm-hmm. When have you ever seen TJ Watt quit? Never on a on a play, much less uh, second half. Um, and I, he played through groin injury last year. Mm-hmm. He was out there, not even close to probably seventy percent in three games. He actually played. And it still broke, you know, tied the sack record or broke the sack record. So, yeah, uh, that's ridiculous. You know, they're, they're not even taking into account that he quit on his team. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. And, like, they're, like you take T.J. Watt in Green Bay. He's not at all 100%. Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. is scrambling out there. T.J. Watt's running after him. You can't catch him. Nope. But he's still running on a bum leg to catch him. There's plays Miles Garrett. The run came to his side, and he just visibly didn't try to get back into the run lane. Mm-hmm. He took two steps the wrong way. It was just kind of like, oh, well, put my hands on Dan Moore Jr., and we'll just stand here, do a little dance, <laughs> do nothing. Like, that's it? That's all you got? You're, you're supposed to be the best. Okay. Uh, some of the other rankings disrespected a, a lot of Steelers. And there's a couple. I don't want to get into the rankings because we're not – none of us are Madden players. But I'm going to ask you guys where you would rank Najee Harris. Because I think this is an interesting one. After his rookie season, where would you rank him in the NFL? I believe he was fourth in rushing total rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where would you guys play, place him? Daniel, we'll start with you. Well, I would definitely place him in the top 10 as a running back in the NFL. Now, he was a his what he did lack last year as a running back was due to the offensive line. The uh the offensive line was played very poorly. He was hit in the backfield probably more than any running back in the league and he had to, you know, make something out of nothing more times than any than any other running back in the league last year. Uh, I think he's in the top 10. He was a pro bowl running back last year. He was able to do that with a weak offensive line with no with no cohesiveness it was a young offensive line an offensive line that was also often injured last year you know if you look back uh before the season started the offensive line the the players that were supposed to be there was supposed to be zach banner david castro uh kendrick green dotson and then um chicks Corfor on the left side and before we even got to before the steelers even got to week one that had changed and by the time the end of the season was you had guys like LeGlue playing and jc hassenhauer and so those types of things matter when it comes to the running back's position and how they're, how they're going to be effective. And when you look at the backup running back position for the Pittsburgh Steelers last year, there it was virtually no one there. It was non, non-existent. And so the running game last year was Najee Harris. And, and for him to make a Pro Bowl and for him to be you know in the top five in rushing, uh, he definitely needs to be up there in the top ten, uh, in my opinion at least. Najee Harris was top 10 as a rookie, no doubt. Uh, if you look at the guys they have ranked ahead of him or rated better than him, every one of them has a far better offensive line than Najee Harris had. 
Cincinnati Bengals offensive line, for example, give up a ton of sacks, mm-hmm. but they rated high, according to PFF, in run blocking. Uh, Harris was hit in the backfield and had to do some incredible runs to get back to the line of scrimmage and get two yards. And it happened all the time. Uh, his longest run was the touchdown run that clinched the game there, uh, Ben's last home game. But, I mean, he, he all his runs were just stiff arms, hurdles, running over, dragging guys. If you give him an average offensive line, just average, which I think the Steelers hopefully can achieve this year, then I think he's going to be well up in the top ten. Because if you look at the guys ahead of him, who catches the ball necessarily better than Harris? You know, he had a few drops when the games were out of hand and he was just trying too hard. But he has excellent hands. He can run routes. He can block. He's tough. He can get you power yards, and he can break a, a you know get a little bit of distance there if if he gets some better blocking. Uh, I think he's easily can be top five, and to get twelve hundred yards rushing behind that line, uh, he had a great season, even though he's not getting credit for it. I want to bring uh, Brian Brown up here from our live chat. Brian Brown says he's number three behind Derrick Henry in the Colts running back. That'd be Taylor. Delvin Cook is good too. Najee number three. Do you say he's number three too high, or is that would you would you go that high? Would you guys go that high? I think he'd have to do it more than one year to to get you know in the top five recognition, in my opinion at least. If he goes in there this year, he gets somewhere around fifteen hundred yards, thirteen hundred yards again, and racks up um, probably another five hundred in the passing game. Then he's definitely in the top five, and he needs to be considered an elite back in the NFL. Uh, but that, you know, that's where I think, and I think that's, you know, he's got to do it at least one more year to get in the top five, in my opinion. I agree with Daniel. Totally. I'm not putting him there yet, but with, with a better offensive line and a quarterback, you can take the snap behind center and, and, you know, with more creativity and mobility, uh, yeah, I think he could easily be top five this year. I agree with you. I'm gonna, one more from the thing. Sherry Richards says top seven is fair. She's on Facebook. Uh, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. I, I don't see top five, but I don't see him. I don't see him outside the top 10. I think, I think top seven, that's about the right range. You can go a little lower. I mean, he's a rookie, obviously one year, mm-hmm. you can go a little lower if you want. Uh, but I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see growth from Najee Harris. Maybe hopefully, hopefully not the number of carries he got last year mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully a little a little better than the 3.9 yards he got fighting behind that offensive line and their amazing lack of holes that they opened for him 3.9 was miraculous yeah yeah nothing nothing short of miraculous mm-hmm. we all watched every game yeah. i feel yeah. sorry for him and i i just like he's going to get hurt he's going to get hurt i mm-hmm. mean but that dude's one tough sucker I'll, I'll give you man. <laughs> okay, I'll give you guys both this option. Uh, before the show, Daniel was saying he liked he fell in love with the Steelers in '93, and you liked Barry Foster. Okay, Barry Foster, Rashard Mendenhall, Willie Parker, Najee Harris, Jerome Bettis. Rank them in order. Who's the best running back of those five? You want me to go first? All yeah, right. you go ahead, man. I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot. So yeah. I'm going to go with bus number one. You know, he, he'd done it for so long. He's the the Hall of Fame running back that we've had. 
um, you know, in my that I've been able to see and be a witness of, you know, so definitely it's going to be the bus. And then after him, I'm going with uh, Willie Parker. You can't take away what he did in Super Bowl against Seattle and that long run he had there. Also, he was a, uh, you know, he was low key, one of the top backs in the league while he was with the Steelers and a running and a running back. You know, he didn't get the recognition because he wasn't the pedigree guy, so to speak. He wasn't the high draft, you know, draft pick or whatnot. But yeah, he low key was an amazing running back there. So I, I would put him there number two. And I'll put Najee Harris number three. Um let's see. Well, yeah. Barry Foster would then come in at number four for me just because it was so young in my in my life that, you know, I I I don't I remember him playing and I remember him being a, a huge fan, but to go back and say that, um, that I, re- I remember him completely, it, it would be, uh, that would be false. And then, and then I would run it off with Mendenhall. Um, I know he recently came out, you know, talking about it wasn't his fault and that fumble and whatnot, but then uh, Matthews hit him straight up right in the face. There was no, it wasn't hidden. He didn't come from behind and come from the side. It was straight up, put his head on the ball and he wasn't prepared to be hit at the end of the day. And, and he should have been, he already had the ball. He'd already taken a couple steps, get, you know, after the ball has been given to him. You know, I played football for a while and I, mean, I didn't get anywhere near, you know, the professional league or anything like that. But in my opinion, right there, he, he got popped and that was his fault. He dropped the ball. And so um, when you lose a, I know that that Super Bowl wasn't completely his fault. However, it was a, it was a big huge play. Yeah, it was a huge play and a big part, big pivotal part of the game. You know, as the Steelers were making a comeback, uh, I, I have to put him at number five. <laughs> All right, I got I to gotta jump in here because I was doing five and I left someone off. Mm-hmm. Kathy brings him <laughs> up. What? No Le'Veon Bell. No Le'Veon Bell. So, Daniel, throw Le'Veon Bell in there. Where would you put him? Well, I, I would have to put Le'Veon Bell behind Jerome Bettis at the number two spot, between Bettis and between um, Willie Parker. Okay. Uh, Le'Veon is a – I used to be a huge fan of his. I know he departed in a in a crappy way, but it was more financial, and, and it was a lot different than what A.B. did. I know a lot of a lot of fans kind of put them in the same category, but it really wasn't. His was more financial and and probably more of uh, him telling – you know, his teammates that he was going to be there and, and never showing up and then allowing them to be questioned about it and allowing that, you know, um, anthill to turn into a mountain, so to speak, and, and become a distraction that entire year. So, you know, that kind of clouds his career. But when you look at what he did for the Pittsburgh Steelers while he was a Pittsburgh Steeler, he was, you know, arguably the number one back in the NFL while he was a member of the Steelers. I'd have to put him at number two behind Jerome Bettis and and I say this, if he didn't do that in 2018, if he had that time machine that he claims or wishes he did have, I wouldn't be surprised if he would have been the next black and gold uh, member of the Pittsburgh Steelers to don a yellow jacket five years after his career. Wow. But Shannon, if you want, like I, I didn't include him because neither myself nor Daniel saw him play, but you can include Franco, Rocky, if you want. You can include those guys. Uh, I just want to stick with people we've actually seen play. Mm. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I said, well, Franco ain't getting no love. Yeah. Watch watch Franco. I've never watched, you know, I've got to see him really play. Uh, Watch Franco. Franco and and Jerome Bettis are like 1A and 1B. Because Franco was, he was so beautiful because he just glided, even though he was a very large, tall running back. Uh, He, he, you know, Eric Dickerson was a tall running back and run kind of standing up, you know, straight up. But 
he had that speed and that burst where Franco just glided. Um, and but Franco was such a such a good running back. So, but we'll we'll stick with the one jaw rating because y'all didn't get to see him. But no. uh, definitely Bettis, number one, no doubt. Um, and I'm going and what I think they accomplished in their career, not how much I like them or dislike them, because that's not fair. Because that's not the question. Uh, so definitely Bettis. Uh, I think it has to be Bell number two, because I believe he was the best running back in football for a couple of years. Um, and I, I do think he belongs in the same category was Antonio Brown because they both were insane and, uh, they blew it. They could have been black and gold legends, but they did not respect the culture. They did not respect the legacy and they both screwed up. And I think they both admitted it, but too late now. So we won't cry over spilt milk, but third, I would agree Willie Parker. Because Willie Parker, you had to root for Willie because he was undrafted. You know, he come out of nowhere. Uh, he helped Bettis at the end of his career, you know, and then he, nope. he's, you know, replaced Bettis after Bettis left. And he would have led the NFL in rushing in the one year if he hadn't got hurt towards the end of the season. So, yep. you know, that's, that's really accomplishing something. Um, Barry Foster, if he could have just done it longer, but, but you know, that one year was magical. I mean, it, I loved watching him. He was like a bowling ball with legs. Mm-hmm. And, and he just bounced off people like a pinball machine. Uh, it was so much fun to watch him that year. And then um, lastly, I, I guess, you know, I have to say Mendenhall. Um, again, because I'm not keeping it. I'm not ranking it by how much I like him or dislike him. You know, I'm stressing that word there. But Mendenhall uh, had some really good seasons. Uh, and and he was a quality player, and I'll leave it at that. Where were you? Did you say Najee? Where were you ranking Najee? I'm not ranking Najee in the, there yet because all them guys have accomplished something. Okay. Over a longer period of time, Najee okay. will be in there. I, I if he stays healthy, barring a major injury, Najee will belong in that group. Okay. Maybe high up in that group, but I won't put him there yet. Okay, so right now he would be not listed, or would you put him at the end? They would be at the end of that list. Okay, he'd be at the end. All right. I'm going to go off what I've seen them play. I'm not going to go off career rankings. I'm going to do a little different. I know, not doing how you guys did it. Um, I'm still going Bettis number one. When you take Bettis at his best, was ridiculous. He, he, could, he could shake people, and if you didn't get him hit square up, you were just – your arm was just – you were he was going to drag you. Right, that was the best you could hope for. Was he would drag you? Otherwise, you're just bouncing off of him. And if you hit him square up, he just boom ate that and kept going. Like he could eat that contact and just keep going, roll off you, spin off you, cut off. He was fantastic. Second, this is going to be a little controversial here, but second, I'm going Najee Harris. What I saw from him last year, in all honesty, I'm putting him above Le'Veon Bell. I believe that if you put Najee Harris with the offensive line straight into that Todd Ailey offense where Le'Veon Bell was, I don't just think he would have put up the numbers Le'Veon Bell did. I think the Steelers would have been a better team. I think they would have been a better offense with Najee Harris uh, than they were with Le'Veon Bell even. I know that's crazy to say it, but that's how much when I watch Najee Harris, that's where I put him. But was, uh, I, I didn't know we was doing fantasy. I thought, <laughs> I thought we was ranking him 
I just, on accomplishments. I, I didn't. I didn't give you any criteria. I just said, <laughs> okay, just okay. how you want to put them. Okay. <laughs> and I, that's where I, I see Najee Harris last year. I say, if you if he had a good line, oh my mm. goodness, what yeah. he would have done. I'm actually next. This is the one you guys are going to dislike. I'm going to go Rashard Mendenhall. Rashard oh. Mendenhall oh. never had that line, and he still oh. put up yards. The guy was absolutely clueless when it came to opening his mouth and putting words out there. He said some really <laughs> things that just you you got to realize are going to come across bad, right? You got to realize how people are going to hear him. But as a runner, fantastic. I loved watching him play. That fumble in the Super Bowl was awful, but he's not the only person to have a key fumble in a Super Bowl, right? Or in the playoffs. He's not the only person to do that. I'm not going to grade his entire career. I think he was fantastic and, again, just didn't have a good offensive line. But you look at that one year where he was healthy and running well, even though he didn't have an offensive line, he put up numbers. He was a big part of that offense. I'm going to go after that. I'm going to go Bell. Then I'm going to go – Barry Foster, then I'm going to go Willie Parker. Barry Foster and Willie Parker, to me, are very similar creatures in that they had great offensive lines and they needed great offensive lines to do what they did. Barry, Willie Parker hitting the backfield wasn't going to do anything for you, and we saw that 2008 when the line got hurt. He couldn't do it. He needed that line. So that that's how I'm going to rank them. You guys can you guys can call me crazy. Uh, people in the, the chat can go after me. Um <laughs> But that, that's how I would rate them. What do you guys think? Well, with Mendenhall, as far as the uh, outside of the Super Bowl, I never really liked the way he held the ball. It always seemed like it was like a oh, loaf no. of bread. Always. And that was one thing that really, really bothered me when he was running the ball was like I was holding my breath every single time. Now, he did have that breakaway ability. He had the ability to – to, to that home run ability, so to speak, that like Najee Harris kind of right now doesn't. And the fact that he's getting bigger is probably going to mean he won't have that ability still. And so he did have that ability and he also had the ability to run over uh, folks. So I, I see your point where he, he could be ranked up a little bit higher. You know, um, a lot of the attention goes to what happened in, you know, after his career and in the Super Bowl. And so once you take those two situations out, I, I see your point. I just, man, I can't. I never really liked the way he ran the ball or held onto the ball when he ran. That was something that always bothered me. Um, and so, but yeah, that's, that's what I think on him. That's why, that's another reason why I would put him at the end, just because, you know, he's like a, a, day, uh, a Hayward Bay when they would throw him the ball. I'd held my breath too, wondering if he was going to catch it. So, <laughs> yeah, he brought nothing <laughs> in the receiving game. Yeah. You know, he, he held it. You are right. He held it away from his body and swung it around when he ran. Just like Deontay Johnson, for some reason, thinking about that, that never really bothered me with Mendenhall. It bothers me so much when Deontay Johnson does that. So it's a little hypocritical for me. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Shannon, you got anything last words to say, or are you just sitting there in shock? No, I, I, I respect all opinions and uh, whether I agree or disagree. <laughs> all right. All right. Um. What, one more thing. Uh, let's go with. Oh goodness, this is this is a topic I've I've been talking about a lot, and it it came up with the Madden rankings because of course he was rated way way lower than people thought he should have been. Pat Fryermuth, how good of a tight end is Pat Fryermuth? And uh, 
I know, I know, Shannon. I know where you stand. Where, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about where would he rank first off in the division and then in the league. In the division, we've got David and Joku's new huge contract. Uh, we've got Mark Andrews. Uh, I'm trying to remember who they have in Cincinnati. I'll look that up. You Usman? U- yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> I think Uzuma. it's Usman. Uzuma? Uzuma or something like that. CJ Uzu- Uz- Uzuma. Uzuma. Okay, yeah, CJ Uzuma. We didn't do much last year. No. Where would you rank them? We'll start with you this time, Shannon. We'll put throw you under the bus. Um, well, Andrews is proven. Yeah, uh, he he's a he's a force. Uh, him and, and Jackson uh, have a real connection, but he also, you know, did really well with Huntley last year. So mm-hmm. uh, I think he deserves the respect. But Fryermuth could easily be number two because uh, um, uh, Usman, nothing special, and uh, Ajoku. Uh, I, I don't even think consider him their number one tight end. They had the um, – who's the guy they got from Atlanta Falcons? Oh, they had Austin Hooper. Yes. I think Hooper's their best tight end. And yeah, did, they prior, get, did they let him go? I, they I know they had him last year. I don't know if they still do or not. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that Fryermuth is easily number two in, in that uh, – out of the AFC North. And then again, you know, we're talking a rookie, so I don't want to to rank them higher than what they've proven. Um, but I think that Fairmuth, I looked at that list of the top ten tight ends, and there was a couple of guys that you could bump out that put him in there. Uh, so I think he's right on the border of being top ten. But after this year, I think he'll be in the top ten. Um, and for me, I, I agree. I think that. Um, Pat Frymuth is on the outside of the top 10 looking in this past season, uh, but next year it would be a, or this upcoming season is going to be a prove it year. You know, he, he was a product of having an aging quarterback who didn't throw over the middle and, uh, and highlighted the X receiver more than anything. Even if the over the middle, middle uh, receiver tied in or slot receiver was open, Ben was throwing to the um, more times than not to the X. And so, um, he wasn't highlighted like Mark Andrews, who is um, – that's part of their staple point in the Ravens' offense. So just in that alone, we're going to have to put Mark Andrews above him uh, for, for last season going into this season. But the other guys, like, like you mentioned before, Austin Hooper, I think that – I've watched and heard from um, the Browns fans and whatnot. I have some friends who are Browns fans. They were upset that they lost Hooper versus Kevin uh, – the other tight end. Forgive me for not being able to pronounce his name. <laughs> and, um, you know, in my opinion, I think he's going to be number two. This year's going to be a huge year for Matt, Fryer, Matt uh, for Pat Fryermuth. I think that uh, both – well, I think Mitch Trubisky is going to be the quarterback going in week one, and I think his ability to play action pass and throw over the middle is going to really highlight Pat Fryermuth, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be a, an eye-opening season for him this year. I'm excited. I was excited for the pick last year. I was calling for it. I know a lot of folks were – uh, looking, you know, for the center that ended up going into uh, to Kansas City. However, you know, I was going into that second round. All we, all the Steelers had was Eric Ebron, and I was like, man, we, you know, if Pat Fryermuth is there, the Steelers should get him. When they got him, excited, got his jersey right away. That's what I'm wearing today. It's uh, he's my, I'm one of his biggest fans, so I think he's going to be a uh, top ten this next year. But uh, in the division, I put him at number two behind Mark Andrews. 
I was trying to see where he actually ranked in yardage. He was like, I think he was in the top 20, but well outside the top 10 in yardage. Uh, Fryermuth was right there near the top 10 with the seven touchdowns. I'm going to rank him higher than that, though. I'm going to say he was inside the top 10 because he's also a heck of a blocker. Even as a rookie, he showed he was a heck of a blocker. And this is without a full year to grow into the NFL. Like this offseason, the end of the season, he's going to know where to go. He's going to know the trainers to hit up. He's going to have the routine. When he hits training camp, he's it's going to be familiar to him. That playbook is going to be familiar. Everything is going to be much more familiar. He's not going to be adjusting to the speed of the NFL, to how NFL defenses want to cover him. He's going to know what he's doing. He's going to be in better shape. They've already said he's in better shape, looks better than he was before. I think he's already in the top 10. And I know I've talked to Shannon about this. I've mentioned this a couple times on my other podcast. But he lines up as a wide receiver, not just in the slot. Like we've talked about – I know Kevin Smith talks about using him in the slot and how valuable that's going to be. He does that. He also lines up outside. Right, And a lot of teams will line up a running back or tight end outside just to get a mismatch for the slot, make you choose. Like you put the linebacker out there on the tight end and give up you know, a run inside where your linebacker is way out on the outside, or do you try and have a linebacker on a slot cornerback, right? We all, we've all seen the Steelers have that exact same problem where they, they put Robert Spillane on Jarvis Landry because that's, that's what the lineups dictate. And you don't ever throw outside to the running back. You don't ever throw outside to the tight end. They're on a number one corner, right? Fryermuth is one of those rare tight ends that you throw to him, and the Steelers did. He has he has uh, you you throw in his highlights. There are probably ten highlights from last season where he's going against another the other team's number one or number two cornerback and beating them, and that's incredible. That's incredible to have that and be able to block. That's like you're not Kyle Pitts, but you can you can do a lesser version of what Kyle Pitts does, and you can block. You can be a lead blocker. There's there's plays he he blocked defensive ends, and he did it well. He did it good. So for me, Friar Musari inside the top 10, I think he can be top five next year. I really think that's that's like my expectation for him, is by the end of this next season, he's a top five tight end in this NFL. Uh, that's I'm, I, I'm with you, Daniel. I think, I think everyone I know is a huge Pat Friar fan, and we all just think he's going to really – be something special here for the Steelers. Yeah, um, we're closing out of time here. Run out of time. Does anyone? Do you guys have anything else you want to ask? Anything you want to talk about? So, um, what do you guys think about the uh, the quarterback position? I know that's the uh, position that everybody wants to talk about and wants to hear about. Uh, are you all excited about Kenny Pickett? Um, have y'all's feelings changed since the draft and? And uh, until now, I know mine has. I wasn't too high on the, picking a quarterback come draft night. I was looking – I was hoping we would get move up and get Kyle Hamilton. However, that turned horribly wrong. And so <laughs> he's now a Raven. Yeah. But, you know, that night I wasn't too high on picking a quarterback in the first round. And, uh, you know, since then I've gone through the, the tape and, and, the, and the highlights of Kenny Pickett. And I'm more impressed with him now, and I'm looking forward to his future. But I'm interested in what you guys think uh, – have y'all's opinion changed or has it been – have y'all always thought he was the pick and all for Kenny Pickett since day one? I'll let you go, Shannon. I I wasn't sure uh, if they were going to go Kenny Pickett or not. Uh, I knew that they knew him better than any of the other quarterback prospects. 
But once they had uh, picked up Mitch Trubisky, I think that, you know, I thought they might go another direction. Uh, but once they selected him, I felt very confident because I do feel like they already have a relationship there that to build off of. And, you know, if he if Pickett would have done what he done last year with LSU, like Burroughs did, uh, he would have probably won the Heisman and everybody would be talking about him like they talked about Joe Burroughs. Uh, you know, he happened to do it at Pittsburgh. And, you know, he didn't have a stronger team around him. But he did play excellent. Since he's been chosen, uh, I think, as you said earlier, I think Mitch Trubisky is going to be the starter. I think that's why they brought him in. I think he's the best fit for the offense, Matt Canada's offense. Uh, I think that's the plan. You know, we'll see what happens in the training camp preseason. But I've been impressed with Kenny Pickett, his composure, the way he handles the media, the way he carries himself, uh, the way he behave, you know handled himself at that softball, charity softball over the weekend. Uh, now you talk about the dingers he hit. I, I mean, he's, he's obviously a natural athlete, but he just is very calm and has a certain composure that – should lend itself to leadership. And I talk, I'm one of the big quarterback guys around here, and I like to talk about the it factor. And the it factor, one of it is leadership. And I've said before, if you believe in you, other people can believe in you. And you have to have a certain amount of confidence and not easily shaken. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you've watched Kenny Pickett, I, I get that, that I think he's matured. I ain't talking about freshman, sophomore, year of college. I'm talking about last year and the Kenny Pickett we see now. I think he has matured and he's going to have that calm, cool leadership in the fourth quarter when it's third and four and you're having to drive to try to put the game away or come back. Ben had that ability. They believed in Ben Roethlisberger to a man. Uh, Whether they liked him or didn't like him or whatever, you would never hear a guy say they didn't believe in him. That he could, he was clutch, and he would win that game. And nobody wanted him to have the ball last. Yep. And yep. you know, I believe that that Pickett has that kind of demeanor and attitude and uh, self confidence that he can help others believe in him too, uh, more so than Trubisky or Rudolph. So um, I'm happy with the pick. I do not think he'll start this year unless things go badly. And then we might see him middle of the season or something like that. But uh, I do think that he will learn a lot. Hopefully he can, you know, stay on the bench and then be ready for next year. I always look for key attributes or skills in rookies. Like uh, with receivers, I look for how they get off of, off of jams at the line of scrimmage. I look for how they deal with physicality in their routes because if you can't deal with that, the NFL will eat you alive. With a quarterback, to me, it's how do you handle pressure and what do you do when the play breaks down? Because that's something that always happens. That's what we see with Patrick Mahomes. Where is he as his best? You pressure him. You got him out of the pocket. He's going to eat you alive. 2018, I remember the Steelers, their entire strategy week one was mm-hmm. keep Mahomes in the pocket and see if he can beat you from the pocket. And he absolutely crushed him anyways. It didn't matter. But, like, how you deal with that pressure, if you can't deal with pressure, if you panic, if you run around, a.k.a. Baker Mayfield, um, and, and you lose track of what's going on and you make mistakes mm-hmm. under pressure. 
that's when you lose it for me. That's that's when you're not going to be that guy. Watching Kenny Pickett play this past season, his his senior year, uh, he navigated the pocket well. There were some false steps. There were times he anticipated pressure when it wasn't there and stepped out when he could have stepped up. There were some things like that, right? But what you see is when he was under pressure and scrambling, he kept his eyes up. He kept his eyes downfield. He didn't just tuck and run. He didn't run around and be like, oh, crap, what am I doing? He wasn't Mm -hmm. looking at his rushers. He kind of felt where they were, got away from them, looked downfield and made plays. And to me, that's that was the same Ben Roethlisberger had that made him great early on was he wasn't the great at reading the defense. He wasn't the greatest at film watching. He wasn't the most Mm -hmm. in rhythm passer. But when the plate broke down, sometimes just because he missed reads even – he could still move around. He kept his eyes upfield, directed traffic, avoided the rush, and got the ball downfield. He was always looking to still make a play with his arm. He was always still watching, looking what's going on downfield, allowing his players to make plays, even when the play broke down. And that's, to me, the one of the most important skills in the current NFL, and Kenny Pickett has that. And one of the, one of the things we heard with Kenny Pickett was potential, like Kenny Pickett is more a floor guy than a ceiling guy. I, I don't like hearing about potential when it comes to quarterbacks coming to the NFL. I don't like talking about that too much with other players. Like what you can do is mostly what you've been doing, right? Like if, you, mm-hmm. if you're if you going to be that player, you most likely already are that player. You're not going to get that much better. So for me, I like Kenny Pickett. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of his. I agree. I think the plan is to let Mitchell Trubisky start. Kenny Pickett is not on the same talent level as Ben Roethlisberger, and Ben Roethlisberger shouldn't have started his rookie season. It just happened to work out. He wasn't great. He just – the team rallied, man. The team rallied behind that rookie, and they won four, They won games in spite of him sometimes. Uh, and then other times he made the exact big plays they needed when they needed them. But it wasn't – you know, he wasn't having to lead them. I, I, I'm trying not to insult the man, but also say, like, he he would have been better off not playing that rookie season. He would have been a better quarterback, you know, and he was. His second year, he was a significantly better quarterback. Kenny Pickett is a guy you want to sit for a while. You want to let him earn that spot. That's my approach on Kenny Pickett, but I think he's absolutely the right choice. He was the best quarterback in that draft, and they got him in a good spot. Hmm. All, right, All right, we are actually a little over our time. So I'm going to give Daniel, I'm going to give you a chance to let people know where they can find you, see your stuff, uh, plug whatever you write, your podcasts, let everyone know where they can see, find you. Perfect. So uh, I'm Daniel J. I have a YouTube channel called State of the Steelers. You can um, search me on YouTube, just type in uh, State of the Steelers. I also post on Twitter and on Facebook. Those handles are at State of Steelers. Um, I do daily lives weekly. I do a weekly uh, Q&A and uh, I'll bring on some guests as well. I've had Dave Schofield from from here behind the steel curtain on my on my channel before. And and I'm going to have Brian um, Anthony Davis uh, later on once he gets back also on the channel. So uh, please go like and subscribe uh, at State of the Steelers. All right, Shannon, let them know what you got coming up. Well, first, I'd like to acknowledge uh, the passing of Charles Johnson. Uh, oh, yeah. former Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver. Uh, a, I remember how excited I was when they drafted him with the first round pick. Um, and he was, uh, uh, you know, he didn't have the best quarterback play during that time, 
but he was uh, uh, developed into a solid receiver. But he, uh, by all reports, he was a great guy, and uh, prayers go out to family and friends left behind. Uh, it was it was sad to hear about. He was only fifty, and and I'm older than that, so uh, you know it seems very very young to me. Um, but uh, I have a article uh, coming out maybe tomorrow. Uh, the biggest all-time biggest first-round draft bust in Steelers history. Now, oh, wow. I'm only going back the modern era, which I consider the 69 or 70 season mm-hmm. as the modern era. And uh, I've got the Notorious Five. And then there's a poll where you can vote and, and you, of course, share your opinions in the, in the discussion thread. But uh, with this being the dog days, the dead time here in, the, in July, and, you know, we got training camp next week. I thought it would be at least something fun to do and we could all interact a little bit. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Debating draft buses uh, is just as fun as debating, you know, <laughs> uh, Rashard Mendenhall and, and Willie Parker. Yeah. Uh, just as valid at this time of year. Uh, I've got coming out, I just finished up my part of it, the Vertex this week that I do with Dave Schofield is on Robert Spillane. Uh, looking at what he brings, his strengths and weaknesses to the Steelers and why he's a really good fit for your number three linebacker. Um, that's coming out tomorrow, maybe the next day. I don't know. I don't know how they schedule it. It's just it's getting finished up tonight, so we'll see. Uh, other than that, I have my uh, podcast every Tuesday. Uh, I just forgot its name, The Cutting Room Floor, so check that out. <laughs> Uh, but most of all, thanks for coming. Thanks for participating. We always appreciate the people commenting in our live chat. We got to put a few of the comments up this week. That was nice. Uh, thank you for listening on whatever format you listen on. And whatever format you're listening to this on, you can listen to any of the Behind the Steel Curtains family of podcasts. Make sure you're checking those out. Make sure you're clicking over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Make sure you're checking out Daniel J at State of the Steelers, his podcast and his social media. Thank you, Daniel, for coming on. Great show today. And for everyone out there listening, thank you for listening. Have a great week. And as always, let's go Steelers.